Welcome to the Voices of Aging podcast, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group, or ASIC, a student-led collaborative organization for the study of aging at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we feature guests working in different aging-related areas, and they share their experiences and wisdom. We release two episodes every month, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to learn more about aging every time you hit play. This is Madeline, host of the Voices of Aging podcast. This week, we are celebrating the Careers in Aging Week with two episodes. Today, we have an exciting episode compiling the highlights from our previous six special episodes released during the Careers in Aging Week last year. The guests featured in these episodes are Rachel Shans, Policy Integration Manager in the Minnesota Department of Human Services, Anne McLaughlin, Health and Aging Policy Fellow in the Office of U.S. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, Jane Peterson, Chief Medical Quality Officer at Stratus Health and Geriatrician, Heather Davila, Postdoctoral Fellow at the Center for Healthcare Organization and Implementation Research at Boston VA, and Assistant Professor at Boston University School of Medicine, Adam Sumala, Executive Director of the Minnesota Leadership Council on Aging, and Jennifer Schultz from the Minnesota House of Representatives. We hope that you enjoy these highlights today. We first asked each of them the question, what do you find rewarding and challenging in your current roles? Anne, Jane, and Adam spoke from their experiences. It's a a little hard to explain, but I think all of us from high school, government class, or political science class have this idea of how we think Congress works. And it's actually much different in reality. And one of the things that really surprised me immensely is you have an office in D.C., so I work for a congresswoman, and we're very small. There's her entire staff, like in our office, when you have less than 10 people who are having to cover all of the legislative areas, and that's defense, healthcare, education, foreign affairs, everything, plus chat with people who are coming in to ask for requests and the like. It's an incredible amount of breath to cover. So it's, you're constantly changing what you're doing. Every 30 minutes, it's a completely new idea. And it's, um, that's probably the most challenging thing for me. (laughs) It's just having to split your brain in multiple directions very quickly. What do you find rewarding? Being part of the puzzle to create a solution. That's really thrilling. And knowing that you added something, you're not the one person who solves the problem. There's not one person who solves these, but being part of that is very exciting. Rewarding sometimes varies from day to day. Sometimes the days that I feel the best when I get home are the days I just had time to sit and talk with some of my residents, especially now with COVID, because The social isolation in many ways is more detrimental 
than any of the other, you know, comorbid disease processes that are going on. And being able to just have a conversation and to talk about that and know that when I leave the room, it feels like both the my patient and myself kind of our, our spirits are lifted a little bit. <laughs> so that's probably one of the things that is most gratifying. I also, on the flip side of that, just by nature, am somebody who loves to design. And I really enjoy looking at how do we deliver care differently? When I finished residency, I spent a a year working at the university and in general medicine and and the emergency room just because I wasn't sure what I was going to do quite next. Like I say, I did not have a completely direct path. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that why do we deliver care the way we do? There's so many things that are inefficient. There's so many ways that we just aren't meeting people's needs. And I couldn't put my finger on it. It's eventually what led me to get my master's and probably some of the other twists and turns along my career. But I still really enjoy thinking about, okay, how do we how whether it be how do i use the tools in front of me differently how do i implement a new process how do i design a tool that a nursing home can use that's another piece that i i really enjoy and that's i think the fun thing about medicine and healthcare is if we if you keep your mind open and your options open you can influence healthcare in a lot of different ways, both as a clinician, but then also just outside of that as well. So the most rewarding piece I'd say is the relationships that I've built and the inspiration that those folks give to me on a daily basis. I've had the benefit of working alongside just some really, truly exceptional leaders over the last two decades, and they have been such generous teachers. So hopefully I can look back at you know, my 21 year old self and listening to Commissioner Malcolm and, you know, say that I helped make a difference as well, that our experience of aging is better for it, for this career. But yeah, that's the biggest reward for me is just building really, really trusted relationships with some amazing people. The biggest challenge, I think, is the systems that that we work in. You know, it's they set the tone for everything we do. So it's, you know, the patriarchy, sexism, racism, ageism, they're all alive and well and need to be addressed. So I also feel that there's sort of an acceptance that aging isn't a state priority. You know, year after year, budgets come out with chronic underfunding and new regulations get layered on. The legislature fails to develop champions and the state as a whole sort of fails to address the reality that we're all aging and that we need to make investments and changes. There's this Einstein quote that I've been just stuck on that we can't solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. And I think we're doing that a lot of the time, you know, now's the time for innovators and to, to elevate efforts to a different level. Uh, And we just keep doing the same things with the same people in the same ways. And I think we know what we're going to get silos of work that don't harness the collective power and the wisdom of our state. Uh, And unless we're careful, I think we could blow this window of time that we have to make a difference. So I hope that folks will challenge the way we've done things to experiment, to invite dissenting opinions to the table, to really listen, Uh, you know, There's such a great commonality and goal and vision for our state, 
But sometimes we get hung up on the 5% of stuff that we don't agree with, that the silos don't see together in the same way. And we don't move forward. Um, and I, we really have to figure that out and start moving forward together. We were also interested in how their work in any way changed their thinking in their own lives. And Jane, Heather, and Jennifer gave us their thoughts. I find that I felt like I always had a pretty good understanding of what it meant to take care of older adults and what, you know, the children of my patients were going through. I have a really, really much better understanding now of all those decisions. And I feel like it has changed. And I don't know if I can put my finger on it, but I feel like that lived experience has definitely changed how I have conversations with daughters. It's changed how I have conversations with staff. It's changed how I understand the anxiety that families are feeling that sometimes to us as physicians can just be annoying because we're like, you know, we've seen this hundreds of times before, but this family is going through it for the first time. And I feel like I have much more empathy for that. So I think going through as a geriatrician, that lived experience does definitely, I think, bring a different perspective to your practice. I think two main things. One is, and I've just learned this from working with a number of geriatricians and other, you know, nurse practitioners and people who specialize in geriatrics. But if uh, my parents or another older person gets advice from one provider, and it's not a geriatric specialist, I always, if it's something that could result in a dramatic, you know, it's not just like here, take an aspirin, but something more dramatic. It's like, to really get a second opinion about that, or, you know, don't just trust everything you hear, because a lot of people, they, a lot of clinicians, they really don't have expertise in caring for older adults. And the advice that they give is sometimes not the best. We're going to see a large increase in older adults as the baby boomers age, and we don't have enough providers to provide the care that they're going to need. And so I see it. we've really not invested in long-term care and supportive services. We've sort of keep kicking that can down the road because it's expensive, but it's an area we need to turn our attention to. And as I communicate more with AARP members and older adults and to see what their needs are, um, they're asking for respect and to live respectfully and um, be independent as much as possible. And we need to make sure we can provide those services so they can live as independently as possible and enjoy um, a full life as to the extent possible. And they may need some supportive services. So we really need to get um, people aware that we need to spend resources in this area so people can have a very high quality of life as older adults in Minnesota. We also wondered, looking back at their own education, if there was anything they wish they had done differently to prepare for their current roles. And Anne and Adam responded. I mean, one thing I'd wish I had done especially since I'm now in policy, was I had wished that I had spent some time at the state capitol during my program. Just a day or two followed a special interest group or came with a trade organization or something to see that side of the policymaking process because I think 
not that it would have changed something dramatically, but that would have been great information to have going forward. And I think it's something that even if you're not interested in policy, if you're working in aging in any manner, that's definitely worth your time to do that once, just to see how that process works. One piece that I would highlight that I wish I had done differently or prepared differently is building connections, real, trusted working relationships with communities of color. Because in my work, I just worked, I've worked predominantly with white majority culture leaders uh, and it shows. And that just isn't good enough for where we need to head as a state. Um, So if I had a deeper understanding or more connections and experiences with those diverse communities, I think I'd be more effective right now in kind of bringing everyone to the table. We also asked our guests to share wisdom they have learned from working with the elderly population. Rachel, Anne, Jane, and Jennifer all chimed in. What's coming to mind is just sort of a a general sense that I got from many older people that I worked with that they just really owned their experience and owned their age and, you know, had gotten to a point in the society, which is, you know, quite ageist and tells us to push back against our age. And a lot of people, whether they had that in the past or not, have just gotten to a point of not caring about that at all and just owning everything that life had taught them and kind of every year of their life, making them who they were. So I've really tried to embody that in my own life and celebrate every birthday and own my age and also just try to push back against, you know, a lot of the subtle ageism that we encounter, you know, and that friends and family members uh, will put forward about, oh my gosh, another year older. And it's like, we really need to flip that and say, another year older. That's amazing. (laughs) You know, we have lived another year on this earth and gained another year of experience and wisdom. And how cool is that? You know, I want to live to be 95 for sure. And just be, you know, this older person that is owning all 95 years of of life experience. So (laughs) it was kind of more like, you know, aspirational. I want to be one of these people. (laughs) This isn't a direct quote from anyone, but I have a dear friend who's a senior and the way she lives her life and has embraced being an octogenarian is just so inspiring. And this goes back to the answer from earlier. Um, Older adults who are able to stay engaged with where they are, willing to learn new things. In her case, she was great with a smartphone. It's amazing. Their willingness to stay social and engaged really can make those last decades of your life so much more fulfilling. And if you're able to do that, yes, you may have arthritis, you may need a walker, you may not, you may need a wheelchair, but you can still really participate in society. And that's so important, not only for your mental health, but even for your physical health and your excitement to go about life. And that's just a really, really beautiful thing to see. One of the ones that stands out to me is that you got to realize that when your patient, whether, you know, this be an 80 year old, a 90 year old or a 100 year old, when they look in the mirror, they expect to see an 18 year old looking back. Because inside, they still are that young person. 
And we often see them, you know, just at the end or toward the end of their life. But inside, they're still young. It is in the fact that, you know, I do have people who say, I look in the mirror and I don't know who that person is looking back at me. And it's not because of cognitive impairment. It's because they really are expecting to see their 18-year-old self looking back because they're not sure where all the years have gone. I think one of the, the things is when I asked a patient of mine who just, she just recently passed at 102, when you would ask her, you know, what's your secret? Well, I never missed a dance. And I think that's probably also kind of filters through a lot of the advice that I get from the folks that seem to be either making it through, you know, the aging process or, you know, thriving in the aging process is it's that, you know, keeping that attitude of having fun, being able to smile, being able to joke, continuing to do that. And so it's kind of that I've always said, well, I'm just, I'm not going to miss a dance. I'm um, going to be turning 50 this year. So I have heard a lot of advice from various people, but I think the most common theme is that really encourage young people to do what they love, do what they're passionate about, because then it's not really work. Um, so I really do encourage when I advise my students, particularly a lot of my business students are, they think they think they're in school because they need the, the degree because they want to go out and earn a lot of money. And then when I visit with them many years later, you know, they may have chosen a career that's not as rewarding. So I think if you can do what you love, regardless of um, how little or how much money you're going to make, it's going to be much more, re more rewarding if you can do that and um, work what you're work in the field you're passionate about. That would be my main advice to young students. And I, I have a lot, I'm very optimistic and have a lot of faith of younger generations that they're going to improve improve our state and our country. And um, I think they have, uh, they're very motivated to do that. And they have some great ideas. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how, how we evolve as a country and a state with the younger generations coming into the workforce and working on policy. Last but not least, Rachel, Adam, and Heather each gave a piece of advice to current students who are interested in a career in aging. You know, one thing I kind of had to let go of was that, oh gosh, if I didn't learn this in grad school, how am I ever going to know it? And there's always ways to continue your education and your your learning and your growth. And so, you know, maybe right after grad school, I, I may have stressed a little bit about, gosh, did I get enough policy in my education? But I, I think I've let go of that and just realized that there's always opportunities through through work experience and through continuing education or, you know, I, I don't have any plans for this, but certainly could be possible, you know, to go back for a certificate program or more education. So um, so I would just advise people not to stress too much and, and think that you've got to really get it all, you know, within within a certain program, because there's always just way, way more out there to learn and know than <laughs> one person really could ever know. And so do the best you can, you know, and, and trust that experience is going to lead you to more experiences. I'd say to recognize that there's a lot of paths in front of you. And as a society, we don't really help people 
very well pick. Uh, we tend to get pushed down a path based on our, our limited connections early in our careers or the expectations of people around us. But the biggest work that we have to do is actually self-reflective. So I'd encourage people to really sit with some big questions about you know who they are and where they want to make a difference. So think about the activities that they love. You know, is it talking with people uh, like this? Is it writing, researching, teaching? Um, you know, do they work in teams well? Do they prefer working alone? Do they like digging into data or telling stories? You know, how do people want to spend their day? Uh, is something I think we really need to let them let them explore. Uh, and then to think about the camp that resonates with them. So what do they want to do? You know, do they feel affinity for people evaluating or researching things? Do they like to shape the actual policies that build the systems? Do they like working with providers and building relationships, you know, really working on the ground hand in hand with older adults? Um, so figuring out where your home is across the field of aging, it takes reflection, you know, and balancing out sort of what are the deal breakers you know is there an income or a geography you know what brands out there in aging do people have a passion for or against and then i would just say don't be afraid to reach out that my experience is that the leaders in this field across this field are some of the most generous kind coaching people and you know something we have going for us is really wonderful smart leaders in our field and they're genuinely interested in helping people find their place so ask for a cup of coffee, do an informational interview. They'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. And you never know where that goes. Well, I think getting involved, I don't know if you still call it ASIG, but I was one of the founding members of ASIG. And that honestly was one of my best experiences of graduate school. So I would say get involved in ASIG, work with other students. Because at least when I was a student, you know, there would be one of us or two of us in a program and so those of us who are kind of interested in aging and gerontology were dispersed throughout the university. And so really developing a sense of community for those of you who are interested in that, so you can just share ideas and support each other. As Heather suggested, if you are a student or trainee, consider joining ASIG. This concludes our highlights today, and we hope you enjoyed the wisdom from our wonderful guests. If you think this is not enough for me and you want to hear the rest of the conversations, please do check out our full episodes from Careers in Aging Week last year. Also, a quick reminder to tune in this Friday for our second episode for the Careers in Aging Week featuring Dr. Ling Lee from the University of Minnesota, specializing in preclinical research on Alzheimer's disease. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Follow Voices for Aging and ASIC on social media for more information about the episodes and guests from the podcast and to learn more about us as a student group. See you next time.